President Bush's No Child Left Behind Act dramatically increased federal authority over education. It's up for reauthorization, and we'll discuss it with former Secretary of Education Rod Page. And Al Gore says the debate over climate change is over, but we'll talk with an MIT meteorology professor who says there is no consensus on global warming. This is Jerry Johnson live from Crystal College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yes. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Your host is Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson. I think it was one of the dumbest uh, and most inappropriate things I've seen since I've been in government. All right, that's Homeland Secretary Michael Chertoff. He's strongly chastising FEMA for staging a bogus press conference. Actually, there were employees posing as reporters asking questions of their colleagues, softball questions. And Chertoff says, Larry, play that again. Would you play that sound one more time? I think it was one of the dumbest uh, and most inappropriate things I've seen since I've been in government. All right, that's Chertoff saying that's one of the dumbest things he's seen. But what about his appearance, his appearance last week? The Bush administration and New York cut a deal, listen to this, Saturday, to create a new generation of driver's licenses, super secure driver's licenses, And illegal immigrants are going to get a version of that driver's license. That is, in New York City, illegal immigrants, New York State, New York State, they're going to give them driver's licenses. What do you think of that? A lot of people are predicting massive voter fraud as a result of this. Now, here's the number, 800-881-9270. We want to talk about this, 800-881. 881-9270, right in this segment. Also coming up later in the program, remember Al Gore. The planet has a fever. Okay, Al Gore says the planet has a fever. You'll remember that. Today, at the half hour, we're going to speak to Dr. Richard Lindzen. He's written a major article for the Wall Street Journal. He says Al Gore is wrong. There is no consensus. Of course, Gore and others say, oh, there is a consensus. No real scientist object. We're going to have a professor of meteorology, meteorology from MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Can't get any better than that in the sciences, the hard sciences. And Dr. Lindzen's going to say, 
Al Gore is wrong. Don't miss that at the half hour. What else is up, Penna? Also, Dr. Johnson, we're glad you're back. And uh, we're going to air an interview with Dr. Rod Page. He is president, or he was President Bush's Secretary of Education during his first term. And he was tasked with the responsibility of implementing a major increase in the federal role in education. That's No Child Left Behind. Now, Congress is uh, looking at reauthorizing this act. So we're going to ask the question, is it working? We're going to air an interview with Secretary Page, and we're also going to give our take on the matter. Also, uh, the death penalty is experiencing some criticism by the American Bar Association. As a matter of fact, uh, they say we ought to do away with it. They're calling for a nationwide, a nationwide freeze on executions. Here's ABA spokesman Stephen Hanlon. We urge jurisdictions that impose the death penalty to immediately implement a temporary suspension of executions. That is, stop them. Texas has pretty much got a moratorium on death penalty right now, awaiting the Supreme Court uh, weighing in on the matter. ABA spokesman Stephen Hanlon again saying uh, he's listing some of the problems that this study found. In Alabama, the state has failed to pass legislation providing convicted offenders a clear method for obtaining post-conviction DNA testing. In Florida, 22 death row inmates have been exonerated after serving approximately 150 years in prison. So a lot of this has to do with the DNA uh, technology that's come into play in the last few years. You know, Penn, I just want to interject right here. Notice what he said, 22 have been exonerated, not executed. So far, as far as we know, no innocent person has been executed, and then it's been exposed by DNA. So it's a great thing that these people were exonerated. It is a good thing. And uh, so, so far, we haven't seen any mistakes. Now, AP correspondent Tim McGuire, uh, sort of reporting on the other side, he says questions are being raised about the fairness of this ABA study on executions. The overall study is being questioned by prosecutors and death penalty supporters because they say the American Bar Association teams were made up of mainly death penalty opponents. We want to know what you think about this. Give us a call at 800-881-9270. Should we banish the death penalty? Dr. Johnson, you know, as I mentioned, with this new technology over DNA, something new comes into play. But does that mean we throw out the death penalty? Well, uh, that's really the question for this first segment. We want your calls, 800-881-9270. What's happened to the idea of law and order in the United States Mm -hmm. and government, actually? Um, giving us law and order. Here we're having, in New York, driver's licenses issued to illegal, illegal aliens, illegal immigrants. Do you think that's a good idea? The number is 800-881-9270. And what about this suspension or the abolishment of the death penalty? Now, a lot of people say, look, um, with the Old Testament's pretty rough, but Jesus is about love and forgiveness and Christians should oppose the death penalty. And I actually want to think about that idea for a moment. Let's go to the Old Testament. This is before the law and before Leviticus and all of the um, execution language in the law. This is Genesis 9. God's saying, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God 
he made man. Now, this happened after Noah, the flood. You'll remember the great wickedness that came on the earth. And, of course, God judged the earth. And God is reestablishing a covenant covenant with humankind. He's reestablishing some principles. And I think because of the sinfulness of man, God is saying, if you shed innocent blood, not I will shed your blood or cause another flood, but it says, by man your blood shall be shed. And that is, I think, a foundation, a foundation for a death penalty for those who take innocent human life. Fast-forwarding through the Old Testament to the New Penna, you have the Apostle Paul. And a lot of people go to Romans chapter 12, where Paul says, you know, um, don't avenge yourself. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Uh, If your enemy hungers, feed him. If he thirsts, give him a drink. And they'll say, oh, we shouldn't execute the killers. But if you keep reading to Romans 13, Paul says, the government does it. Don't do it yourself. Let the government do it. And Paul says, rulers are God's minister. Romans 13, 4, if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword, the sword of the executioner. He does not bear the sword in vain. He is an avenger to execute wrath on those who practice evil. And so I believe, where is law and order? Um, If you have the Christian worldview, you're going to say, look, killers, those who take innocent human life, it's, it's the job of government to protect us, to protect society. And that does mean using the sword. And um, this study, though, again, raises questions about the death penalty. We want to know what you think, 800-881-9270. We've got Kelsey on the line from Arlington. Kelsey, what are your thoughts on the driver's licenses or the electric chair? Well, I called in about the death penalty, and I think you just made some great points, Dr. Johnson. I just wanted to call and say that I really struggle with this issue, and I think it's because I'm so passionate about the pro-life movement, and I have a hard time sometimes separating taking an unborn life from taking a life in general. And, you know, I read an interview with Dr. Richard Land recently. I think he was interviewed about the upcoming election, and he talked about how he would have a hard time voting for anyone who thinks it's okay to stop a beating heart. And I can't help but let that come into my mind when I think about the death penalty. Yes. Um, anyway, it's just a hard one for me to balance. I don't have the answers. Just wanted to share that that is a struggle. Hey, Ke- Kelsey, I think that's a very natural struggle. I think a lot of Christians think that way. And that is the official position of the Roman Catholic Church. It's called the seamless robe uh, pro-life position. That is never for the taking of human life. But I think if you go back to Genesis 9-6, the passage I quoted earlier, whoever sheds man's blood... By man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he was created. That is, it's, it's actually the pro-life position that says human life is so sacred, so valuable, that if you take an innocent human life, you forfeit your own right to life. That's really the argument in Genesis 9-6. And God says, by man your blood will be shed. So it's not God zapping people from heaven. Essentially, he has established government to enforce that code. And then you see it in Romans 13, that the governor is the ruler who does not bear the sword in vain. I do think, though, Christians ought to almost have to be talked into a war or talked into an execution. And we ought to set a pretty high threshold on who would be executed and when we would go to war. Dr. Johnson, one question uh, just about the effects of the death penalty that I want to ask you, and that is, is it a deterrent to crime 
uh, do you think from your observations, or is this just the fact that uh, to uh, get these people out of society, protect citizens, and not have to support them in prison for the rest of their lives? Well, I think this is interesting. In fact, I want to go to a quote, and I'll answer that question. Here's the ABA spokesman, Stephen Hanlon. He says, um, you know, this doesn't end up with justice. Death penalty systems are not delivering the justice that the American people deserve, expect, and indeed uh, are guaranteed. Look, Penna, the question of whether or not the death penalty works is kind of a utilitarian question in Mm -hmm. ethics, and we wonder, does it have the desired result? I think years ago when they did these in the county square, within a week, you know, they had the trial, they had the public hanging, everybody came, and children saw that, and they thought, whoa, don't do that, you know, you'll end up hanged here within a week. I think there was a deterrence, certainly then and there. Now, with so many appeals, I'm not sure we could make the case for that kind of a deterrence. Of course, you won't have uh, repeat violators. Obviously, if you execute a killer in prison, he's not going to repeat. And Somebody says, well, what about England? You know, they put their people away for life, throw away the key. A lot of these killers kill again in prison as well, and so we are deterring repeat offenses. But uh, I want to go back to that quote because the man said, if you recall, Stephen Hanlon, uh, let's replay that again, Larry. I want you to listen for the word justice. That's key. Death penalty systems are not delivering the justice. That's it right there. Justice. Justice. And so if he wants to talk about what's working in deterrence, that's one question. That's the utilitarian question. But if you want to talk about what's just, what's right, and what ought to happen, I think God's Word is pretty clear. Someone who takes innocent human life, God has appointed government the role of administering the sword. The sword it's not, it's Makaira, it's not a little pocket knife and you cut at somebody. Hmm. It is the broadsword of war or of decapitation in that time. And it's very interesting that Jesus was executed, Paul was executed, Peter was executed, almost all of the early Christian leaders were executed. The early church never came down saying, oh, execution is wrong in principle. Uh, uh, the early church never made a point to say execution is invalid or ungodly. Uh, the government may have wrongly applied it, certainly did in the case of mm-hmm. Christians, but they accepted the government's responsibility and authority, actually, to do capital punishment. All right, when we come back, uh, maybe we'll talk about some of this towards the end of the program today. If you've called, maybe call back. But um, education reformers are saying the No Child Left Behind Act has actually resulted in states dumbing down their standards to get federal money. No Child Left Behind was supposed to improve education performance. Results are mixed. Next, we'll hear about the successes of this program for former Education Secretary Rod Page, an exclusive interview with Jerry Johnson Live. You don't want to miss it. Former Secretary of Education Rod Page. And then at the half hour, an MIT professor saying Al Gore is wrong about global warming. November 14th, the Criswell Radio Network's Town Hall Series is back. The Battle for the Truth. Beware the False Prophets. A town hall meeting to focus our gaze back on Christ and the truth of God's Word. But everybody likes to make fun of Christianity. Everybody likes to make fun of Jesus. Truth. 
Special guest panelists include Dr. Robert Jeffress, pastor of First Baptist Church, Dallas, Jack Graham, pastor Prestonwood Baptist Church in Plano, Barry Cameron, pastor of Crossroads Christian Church, Grand Prairie, and more. So when they tell you I'm out there, they tell you I'm making an appearance, he said, don't you believe him? The Battle for Truth. Hosted by Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of the Criswell College in Dallas. This is Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College in Dallas. I'll be your moderator for this important live discussion. Wednesday, November 14th, 7 p.m. And live from Crossroads Christian Church. The truth. Fight for it with us. Only here on the Criswell Radio Network. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Well, you'll remember the No Child Left Behind Act. Is it working or is it dumbing down our schools? Our guest is former Secretary of Education, Dr. Rod Page. He's a graduate of Jackson State University, has a doctorate from Indiana University. Dr. Page has served as a teacher, a coach, a superintendent of the Houston Independent School District, and was nominated by President Bush to be the U.S. Secretary of Education, the first African-American to fill that position earlier today. Andrew A. Bear had a chance to speak with him. Dr. Page, you'll be in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex uh, soon to give a series of lectures and speeches in uh, conjunction with a new book you've written. Uh, tell us about your book and the lectures you'll be giving. Okay. I wrote a book called The War Against Hope, and it's a book about teacher unions and the power of teacher unions that I think the public is pretty much unaware of. But I believe that teacher unions represent probably the most difficult barrier to overcome in uh, preparing schools to educate children well. They are primary cause of our dysfunction in many schools. Why do you think uh, teachers' unions are so important? Well, first of all, the organization. They have organizations in every state and in many school districts, and they have large memberships that they can call to task easily. They have huge corpus of money, and their purpose is to deal with the welfare of their members. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. And by the way, I don't want to make the point that we don't need teacher unions, and I don't object to teacher unions. But the problem now is because the public has not paid much attention to this phenomenon, we have arrived at a point where we have over-unionizations. The unions are so powerful now that they are literally running the schools and the principals and teachers in the schools are subject to the union's power, and they are the most powerful force in school reform in the United States of America. Dr. Page, uh, you were instrumental in working on the No Child Left Behind Act, and uh, one of the uh, propositions of that act was uh, for accountability. How does that work um, with the teachers' unions? I mean, uh, it seems, uh, I mean, are the unions running the schools, or, or how is this regulated? In many cases, the unions are running the schools, and they're running the schools because of their ability to deal with the what I refer to as politics of the status quo. And that is they get themselves elected on school boards or sometimes uh, they support members on school boards who are obligated to them. And they control the policies that are enacted by the school board. And their main goal is one that's very quiet and most people don't see it. And that is to not allow any policies that have consequences attached to them. So if you look at the policies and the positions that they take, and you can see very clearly that anything that smacks at all of consequences then they're going to oppose that. Now, accountability flies in the face of that, and they don't want any part of accountability. And they are probably the most uh, powerful obstruction to the No Child Left Behind Act. They are the primary reason why the No Child Left Behind Act 
enjoys a negative image in many parts of the country. Well, speaking of negative image, uh, no, no Child Left Behind has come under uh, public criticism recently. I want to play a soundbite from uh, Sunday's Republican presidential debate where uh, Senator Fred Thompson uh, discussed his vote for No uh, Child Left Behind, and I wanted to get you to react to it. Here's that bite. In favor of the No Child Left Behind law, though critics warned that uh, it was too intrusive, too bureaucratic. They also warned that teachers would teach to the test. Yeah. Now you say all those things are true. Was your vote a mistake, and how would you change No Child to correct those problems? Yeah, I did vote for it, and uh, some of those critics were right, and some of us were wrong. Uh, What has happened is that, indeed, states have talked to the test. Uh, We've not gotten the transparency and the accountability that we thought we were getting. I like the idea of testing, but the tests have to mean something. You can't be like... Lake Wobegon, where all the children are above average, you know, everybody's, you know, makes 90 on the test, you're not learning very much. Dr. Page, I want to get your reaction and and just briefly outline for our listeners uh, what No Child Left Behind does and why you and President Bush uh, worked so hard to get it passed. It's very simple, and thank you for the opportunity. First of all, No Child Left Behind envisions a goal where every child is on grade level. In other words, a fourth grade child can read at a fourth grade level and do math at a fourth grade level. A third-grade child can read and do math on a third-grade level. So its goal is for every child to be on grade level. Now, one would think that that would be the school's goal anyway, whether that was a No Child to Find Act or not. Would you not think that a school would want a fourth-grade child to be reading on a fourth-grade level? It makes sense. math on a fourth-grade level? That would be their goals. So then the goal is actually nothing that's out of the ordinary. In fact, the law even asks the state to define what grade level is in terms of defining proficiency. And that's one of the things that I think that uh, we could improve, and that is to have a system that defines proficiency instead of all 52 states, the 50 states in District of Columbia and, and Puerto Rico, defining their own proficiency. The No Child Left Behind Act is not a complex or difficult law. It's simply one that asks that every child be on grade level. And for people to object to a law that asks that as a goal is really, I think, uh, a disservice to America. Well, you, you mentioned an improvement that could be made there uh, by going back to the states and allowing them to uh, you know, make certain criteria. And that, that brings me to another, another question I want to ask you, because um, some major politicians have, have debated the authenticity of the Department of Education, uh, in fact, calling into question its very existence on the basis of there being, uh, in their view, no constitutional provision for such a department. I mean, as recently as 1996, uh, the Republican Party had on its platform uh, that they would try to abolish the Department of Education. I mean, even President Reagan um, uh, mentioned his st- in the State of the Union address in 1982 that he would uh, try to dismantle the Department of Education. Uh, do you think that um, public education be- should be controlled on a federal level, or do you think it, it is uh, more wise to have it controlled locally and on a state level? Well, first of all, I admire President Reagan and agree with President Reagan's policies. Along those times, I would probably have agreed with that. But now, in today's world, we need a Department of Education. For example, the report in 1983 under President Reagan called a nation at risk said that we as a nation were at risk because of our poor education system. Now, they didn't say we have various states at risk. They said we have a nation at risk. And so the only central point that holds all of these states together is the Department of Education. I think it's a necessary condition given today's reality. Of course, it has to perform well, and that's and I'm assuming that it, that it will do that and is doing that. So, what is uh, just give our listeners the best thing you can say about public education today? I mean, what is the uh, what, give us the optimism? What's what's uh, looking up here? Public education 
is the greatest social invention, I think, in our nation's history. It, it is the thing, I think, that has made America great. What has happened is we've kind of turned away from the principles that made public education great and made it a great social invention. And now we've gone and taken a path that uh, I think deviates a good distance from the original ideas about a public education. So I'm for public education, but public education has to change like the times have changed. We need more accountability, more transparency, and more choice. Every American enterprise, indeed national enterprise, that is current with the times today almost customized choice for their customers. Yet we want to feel that we could have one system of public education that can meet every child's needs, and I think that's unrealistic. We owe a lot to our teachers and principals and superintendents and people in our public school system. But the system itself, not the people, the system itself needs to be brought up to date. What do you think about school choice? You mentioned you know, that uh, parents need to have options. School choice is a necessary condition for effective schools. Wow. It is a necessary condition for effective schools. And by the way, we can see the evidence all around. Look at the schools that are being successful in our public school system. The magnet schools, which are essentially schools of choice. Many charter schools, which are essentially schools of choice. You cannot chain a child to a school that's not serving them well. Now, this is not a strike against the people who are in these schools. In fact, they would be benefited as well by having students in the building who want to be in the building. My guest is former U.S. Secretary of Education, uh, Dr. Rod Page. And uh, Dr. Page, public education has played such a big role in domestic policy over the past few years. And I want to ask you just one final question, because there's been a policy um, that has attracted much controversy, and uh, that is uh, the policy of affirmative action. Uh, What are your thoughts on this policy, and how would you uh, respond to those who would say uh, that this is just another form of discrimination in that uh, universities no longer accept students on the basis of merit, Uh, but on the basis of skin color. I mean, uh, uh, Bernie Goldberg uh, made the point in his last book that, uh, uh, you know, this affirmative action allows for some black kid from a well-to-do suburb of Chicago to get, uh, quote, bonus admission points uh, for college at the expense of, you know, maybe some blue-collar white kid whose dad works in a steel mill in West Virginia. How do you respond to that? Well, I think, first of all, the research will bear out the fact that those who've been able to take advantage of affirmative action policies are, in many cases, those from the middle class and upper class. So it hasn't done a lot for the people in the financial straits, the people who are basically in need. And that's my problem. The greatest affirmative action program would be the No Child Left Behind Act. It is mm-hmm. a logical extension to the Civil Rights Act. Wow. It's a logical extension to the 1954 Brown versus the Board of Education. Because what it means is every child should be brought up to grade level. They should be reading, doing math, and other subjects on grade level, which should be the goal of the school anyway. And if you give those children the foundations that they need in those early grades, they'll be able to go to the greatest universities in our nation on their own merit. Regardless of uh, skin color. Absolutely. Right. Well, my guest has been former U.S. Secretary of Education, uh, Dr. Rod Page. Dr. Page, it's been a pleasure speaking with you, and uh, thank you so much for your time, and uh, thank you for your service to America. We really appreciate it, and God bless you. Thank you. All right, that's Andrew A. Bear, who works on Jerry Johnson Live every day, and uh, the former Secretary of Education, Dr. Rod Page. Very interesting, Penna. Teachers' unions, he said. That's a problem, uh, not a solution when it comes to American education. It's very mm-hmm. interesting. These forced dues will be uh, donated in mass to Democrat pro-abortion candidates 
uh, in the next cycle, as they always are. He also talked about the importance of school choice, an absolute necessity that students be able to choose where they're going to go if we're going to stay with public education. We'll have more on that as the days come. But next, you hear it all the time. There is a consensus now on global warming. Nobody disagrees. Anderson Cooper is scaring everybody this week with his special last week also, A Planet in Peril. We're going to have a professor, Ph.D. graduate of Harvard University, the Sloan Professor of Meteorology from MIT, the Massachusetts, Massachusetts Institute of Technology. And he's going to say Al Gore is just wrong. Join us. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Al Gore's movie. Is it possible that we should prepare against other threats besides terrorists? From Paramount Classics comes a film that has shocked audiences everywhere they've seen it. The Arctic is experiencing faster melting. If this were to go, sea level worldwide would go up 20 feet. Is that true? This is what would happen in Florida, around Shanghai, home to 40 million people. Well, that's Al Gore, An Inconvenient Truth, his movie, won him an Academy Award last year. He just received the Nobel Peace Prize, not the Science Prize. That's very interesting, the Nobel Peace Prize. And Anderson Cooper is doing a special called A Planet in Peril, scaring everybody in the last week. Time Magazine right now has a special. If you go to your supermarket, a, a special edition called Global Warming And, Penn, I'm reading from the first uh, article that says this, that in 2006 they did a cover story that um, the case at long last was made, that the debate was over, the verdict was in, and the world was irrefutably warming. And it goes on to say that humankind, the cause for that warming. We're always hearing that, that all the scientists agree, nobody disagrees. Uh, but our next guest says, don't believe the hype. Don't believe Al Gore. There is no consensus on global warming. Well, he disagrees, and he is Richard Lindzen. He is the Alfred B. Uh, Alfred P. Sloan Professor of Meteorology at the Department of Earth, Atmospheric, and Planetary Sciences at Massachusetts Institute of Technology. He's got a tremendous bio. The Wall Street Journal prints his op-eds uh, periodically. Dr. Linson has developed models for the Earth's climate with specific concern for the stability of the ice caps, the sensitivity to increases in CO2, and the origin of the 100,000-year cycle in glaciation and the maintenance of regional variations in climates. This really uh, gives him the, uh, the pedigree, the bio, for what we are talking about today. One other thing that I found interesting was that he, with his NASA colleagues, because he's also a consultant for NASA, discovered the iris effect, which we've mentioned before, which is that warming causes a cloud cover, which then increases uh, the reaction to CO2 increases. We'll talk with him about that. Uh, but, Dr. Linson, we're so glad you're with us. Al Gore said that the debate in the scientific community is over. Is it? Well, you know, who knows what that means, even. I've never heard of that in any subject. Mm. That's and really the true. The point of science is to keep looking and checking 
And so when you hear the debate is over, it means you're hearing a politician or a uh, environmental advocate or something, but you're not hearing a scientist. That's just not the language of science. I found something very interesting over the weekend in the same paper I just mentioned, the Wall Street Journal. It says John Christie of the UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which is the co-recipient of this uh, Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, his name is Miles O'Brien, and he was interviewed by the Wall Street Journal, and he's kind of upset about sharing this with Al Gore, and he says he thinks thought prizes were given for performance and not for promotional activities. What do you think about it? Well, you know, the Peace Prize has been so degraded over the years that one wonders what it's for. It's not for peace. It's not for science. It's chosen by five politicians in Norway, and there's no reason to suppose their politicians are notably better than ours. <laughs> well, you're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. We're talking to Dr. Richard Lindzen. He's the Sloan Professor of Meteorology at MIT. He holds the Ph.D. from Harvard University. Dr. Lindzen, uh, let me ask you two just basic questions most of our listeners would really like to know. Um, are we in a warming cycle? Uh, is it part of a, a longer history of cycles, or are do you believe that it's human-induced? You know, if you'll forgive me, I think those questions are exactly the questions that are leading to confusion. Yes. And I'll explain why. You know, the Earth is always warming or cooling. Yes. <laughs> and it does it without any external forcing at all. Um man might or might not have a contribution looks like it's small but uh it would be implausible that it would have no implication whatever on the other hand that whole discussion you know are we having warming is it due to man <laughs> obscures the fact that the warming we've seen in which the un agrees and so on is just much smaller than it should have been and so it's suggesting that the climate is not very sensitive to greenhouse warming, even if man were the cause, which is implausible, that he would be more than a third, let's say, of the cause. Uh, but, you know, to get the alarm, to get the ice melting, uh, to get all those things, get Greenland to collapse, isn't just a matter of global mean temperature. You'd need tons of other things to occur. And anyone who's ever bet on something knows when the links in the chain go beyond five or ten, the odds of correctly predicting go to zero. Hmm. And so we have people arguing, is it warming or not? Is man's cause or not? And ignoring the fact that none of that implies any of the crazy things that Al Gore portrays. Well, let's talk about that for a minute, because I want you to listen to uh, a soundbite from Al Gore, and I want to ask you if it's actually the case. If you look at the 10 hottest years ever measured, they've all occurred in the last 14 years, and the hottest of all was 2005. Our guest is Dr. Lindzen of MIT. Dr. Lindzen, is Al Gore right about that? Well, you know, he might be because we don't measure the temperatures accurately enough to tell. In other words, when somebody says the temperature this year was, you know, 0.7 degrees 
higher than it was a century ago. It has to have an error bar on it. The error bar is about plus or minus 0.2.25. (laughs) Within that range, given we're at a high point since, you know, the beginning of the last century, any fluctuation about the mean is likely to give you a record breaker. But you only talk about record breakers when the trend stops, and the trend stopped 10 years ago. So what you have now is a flat temperature profile fluttering around a high value, and every time you think it's a little above, you say, well, that's a record-breaking year. But that doesn't tell you anything. So what he's doing is giving a soundbite to the public that makes them think there's something crazy going on, but what he's really doing is disguising the fact that the temperature trend has been zero for 10 years. That's amazing. Dr. Richard Lindzen is with us. He's an MIT uh, meteorologist. Dr. Lindzen, uh, I noticed in one of your articles you've said that uh, the Arctic is warmer now than in the 1940s, and also that the Greenland ice sheet is actually growing, contrary to what Al Gore says, in an inconvenient truth. You know, again, I mean, it, there is a problem. We're dealing with numbers. Now, the Greenland ice sheet is growing in the main body of it. There's more precipitation, more snow falling than there is loss. But you see these pieces breaking off, and that's what he that's shows. That's always occurring. The more you <laughs> build it up in the middle, the more you push off the side. Okay. By the time you finish subtracting one from the other, you might argue one year it's losing little, one year it's gaining little, but that difference, is never going to amount more than one inch of sea level or so in a century. Can you talk about this iris effect? Oh, that's something, you know, we're still working on, but it looks like the clouds in the tropics, which are really a very significant greenhouse substance, the thin, wide clouds that are barely visible, when you have a warmer environment, you produce fewer of those clouds, and that lets the heat out, so it fights any increase in temperature and tries to keep it cool. And when it's warmer below, you get more, you get, when it's colder below, you get more of these clouds, and they try and hold the heat in. So nature seems to have a mechanism to oppose any changes that occur from greenhouse warming. Uh, and they make it much less. And indeed, as I mentioned, we've seen much less than the models say we should have seen. Let me ask you one final question, Dr. Lindzen. Uh, Gore mentions uh, hurricanes, Katrina in 2005. He predicted greater hurricanes, none in 06. We're now in 07. What do you make of that? Well, what do you make of any forecast you've heard from the weather? (laughs) Why should Al Gore's be better than the weatherman? (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Pretty good. Dr. Richard Lindzen, Sloan Professor of Meteorology at MIT, Ph.D. Harvard University. Dr. Lindzen, thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure. All right, folks. uh, Fascinating. When we hear it again and again, there's no debate, complete consensus of all the legitimate scientists, and they say, oh, they're being... The, the few that object are being paid by oil companies. Well, I don't think Dr. Lindzen's being paid by an oil company. MIT pays his salary. Mm-hmm. He got his Ph.D. at Harvard University. 
He's been a consultant for NASA. You heard him, folks. He says, look, um, Al Gore is, is wrong. There's no consensus on this topic. A lot that's unknown, actually, about it. Well, when we come back, we'll take your calls, 800-881-9270, 800-881-9270. We'll talk about what the Bible says about ecology and our responsibility as Christians to be good stewards of the earth. Just because we don't believe Al Gore and Anderson Cooper and all the doomsday hype doesn't mean that Christians don't have a responsibility for creation care. So we'll talk about that a little bit. We'll take your calls, though, on the death penalty. Illegal immigrants getting driver's license or global warming. 800-881-9270. Call us if you'd like. November 14th, the Criswell Radio Network's Town Hall Series is back. The battle for the truth. Beware the false prophets. Did you notice the news on TV about the Emmy Awards? Kathy Griffin made some remarks about Jesus. What she said is about as blasphemous a comments as anyone's ever made about Christianity. Fox News says before Kathy Griffin won a Creative Arts Emmy last weekend for her reality show, My Life on the D-List, she joked that an award would move her to the C-List. She was right, C as in censored. In her speech, Griffin said that a lot of people come up here and thank Jesus for this award. I want you to know that no one had less to do with this award than Jesus. She went on to hold up her Emmy and proclaim, This award is my God now. I've read the text of what she said. I I can't even share it with you publicly. The truth. Fight for it with us. Only here on the Criswell Radio Network. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Well, Penna, I am just fascinated by the way the mainstream media is just operating in an echo chamber when it comes to global warming. Mm-hmm. And uh, our children are being inundated with this in popular movies, cartoons. And um, the rank and file on the street out there, you know, they don't focus on this as much as we are allowed to doing this program. But, folks, I want to tell you there are a lot of people out there like Dr. Lindzen of MIT. He's a Ph.D. graduate of Harvard who says Al Gore is wrong. There's no consensus. And we've had another fellow from the University of Alabama. And we've had many others on this program. And I get uh, materials on this every week. And I have a very thick file in my office. In fact, today another article came across my desk about Mount Kilimanjaro because Gore uh, makes a major point in his presentation in Convenient Truth on Mount Kilimanjaro, the glacier, the snow shrinking on Mount Kilimanjaro. That's the top tallest mountain in Africa. I've been there. I've seen that mountain. I flew right over it once in a small plane. And uh, there's been a major study done now that says, look, This can't be about global warming, and here's why. Uh, The air temperature at the altitude of the glacier is constantly below freezing. So it's not being melted by air in the atmosphere. Only direct radiant heat from sunlight could be warming and melting the glacier. And the scientist makes... It's called the sun. Yes, the sun. And it makes another point here that the shape of the glacier... The way it's shaped, these scientists say, uh, they deduce from that that the, the melting is from the sun and not from the atmosphere. So, folks, you just need to dig a little deeper and go a little broader before you buy the hype of Anderson Cooper or Al Gore. Now, what is our Christian response here? 
In fact, uh, I think today there's a story that would help us illustrate our response. Uh, the Supreme Court has decided to step in in the controversy about ExxonMobil and um, what it owes us, the people, for the Exxon Valdez oil spill. Now, this happened years ago, and here's a report on the Exxon Valdez oil spill. A jury ruled the oil giant owed $5 billion in punitive damages, which a federal appeals panel later cut in half. Exxon calls that by far the highest total of damages ever approved by a federal court. And now the Supreme Court will consider whether Exxon should pay any punitive damages. The oil giant says it has already paid $3.4 billion in cleanup costs and other penalties resulting from the 1989 Valdez spill. Sagar Megani, Washington. Now, I don't know the details of this case, but what I do know is this, is um, in that oil spill, they messed up a lot of Prince William Sound and, mm-hmm. and killed a lot of animals, and there was a lot of leftover, and they had to clean it up. It was bad. And they should have to pay a penalty because it was due to negligence on their part. And I think Christians want to be Teddy Roosevelt kind of conservationists. That is, uh, I just got back from Colorado, spent uh, the week up in the mountains, uh, fishing, hunting, hiking. And Christians ought to love nature and want to take care of nature. And we are charged in Genesis 1. It's very interesting. We talked about uh, the image of God today from Genesis 9. That actually goes back to Genesis 1. We are created in God's image. And God said, have dominion, reproduce, rule. And he put Adam and Eve in the garden and said, tend the soil. And uh, I think uh, Christians must be responsible to take care of these resources and to use them wisely. But we should not follow the hype of Al Gore, Anderson Cooper. We've got Sherry on the line from Fort Worth. Sherry, thank you for calling and holding. Uh, what's your comment? Well, I, have, I agree with you that man forfeits his right to life when he murders. And I think that most people agree that man forfeits his right to freedom when he steals because he goes to prison. And But more importantly about the murder... It's because he denigrates the image of God when he kills a man, and he blackens the image of God. And so normally the Bible doesn't talk about killing people, but that is such a serious thing to blacken the image of God and denigrate it in another man that that person forfeits his life for that reason. And and I just liked what you said about forfeiting the life when you kill somebody. Hey, thank you for that call, Sherry. I think if you look at Genesis 9-6 carefully... Uh, that's the value placed upon human life, creating God's image. I think there's an Old Testament theologian, I think it's House, uh, who put it this way, that because humankind, because mankind is created in God's image, murder is a crime against God. It's not just a crime against other people. It's a crime against God. It's a capital crime against God. And God exacts the death penalty. And he does that through the instrument of government, which he ordains. Everybody thinks today government's here to, you know, pay for lunches and schools and retirement and everything, all the things we want, prescription drugs and so forth. And that's what everybody debates today about the role of government. But God-ordained government is here to protect human life. And that's what the founders thought when they wrote the Declaration of Independence. We are endowed by the Creator with a right to life, and it's government's responsibility to protect that life. 
You know, Dr. Johnson, uh, if you'd give me a moment since we brought up this issue of the driver's licenses, maybe I could just weigh in on that very quickly before the end of the program, because there's a compromise that's taking place between the governor and the Bush administration. And the third, three types of licenses, and I'll just tell you about the third one, it's available to undocumented immigrants. That's what we're worried about, but only to undocumented immigrants. Do you think immigrants are going to go and get this license? No way. (laughs) (laughs) Some of that may solve the problem there. We'll stay on this topic in the days ahead. Now, we've got, coming up this month, Judge Andrew Napolitano. You've seen him. Uh, Former Secretary of Defense, William Cohen. Mm -hmm. So we are are loaded up here. But I want to remind you, on November 14th, the battle for the truth. Beware of false prophets. Uh, We're going to be out at Crossroads Church. And John MacArthur is going to join us by phone. Pastor Robert Jeffries of First Baptist Dallas. Pastor, Your pastor, Jack Graham mm-hmm. of Prestonwood, will be on with us. Barry Cameron will be on with us. And it's going to be thrilling. And then at the Southern Baptist of Texas Convention that week, we're going to have some theology debates again. So we've got a blockbuster month planned for November. And we'll do something special on um, the 31st. That's uh, Wednesday. And a lot of folks are observing Halloween. We're going to be observing Harvest Day here at Criswell College. And that'll be fascinating to report on as well. Well, today we've talked about a broad range of issues, but I just want to bring it all back to the good news. There's a lot of bad news, but there's good news if you're a Christian or you want to be, and that's the gospel. The gospel means good news. It's how that Christ died for our sins. According to the Scripture, I tell you, a lot of this news reminds us that we are sinners in need of a Savior. The good news is how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. And He was buried, and three days later, He rose from the dead. That's good news. We are worshiping a leader, a Savior, a Lord, who's not still in the grave, like all other religious leaders. Our leader, our Lord, is risen from the dead. And he offers forgiveness and a new kind of life, an entrance into his kingdom. If you repent, admit your sin, you desire God to change your life, repent and believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Look to Jesus. Look to Christ. Believe on him. This is Jerry Johnson Live with Pennedexter. We'll talk to you tomorrow. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.